Hi, Tom Bernard here. You're listening to Best of the Family. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us, we talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer for <laughs> He just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24 hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. Bon Jovi's coming to town, what, in April? Uh, yeah, I think so. Really? Barf. Yeah, sometime in April. Ugh. He's, what? I hate Bon Jovi. What? Really? He just... I love this song. And it's not even his music, it's like looking at him, I'm like, ugh. What are bugs me? Looking at him. He always gives a shout out to the queue when he's in town. He does. What makes me like him more? God. Yeah, I don't really know anything about him. He's so like he's little a kid from and New his Jersey. hair's all fluffy and. Oh my he's got, god! He's how got boy, yeah, he's got what was that called? That was a hair boy, hair hair band, hair band. yeah, oh, yes, hair band, yeah. hair. Yeah. yeah. Well, then you must love Triumph the Insult Comic Dog when he was talking to Bon Jovi, <laughs> and Bon Jovi was going to be in John Carpenter's uh, Dracula. Yeah. So he hired Bon Jovi to be a, a bit player in Bon Jovi in uh, in uh, Dracula. John Carpenter did. So Triumph says to him, "John Bon Jovi, you must really love the fact that you're in John Carpenter's movie Dracula. You just got a job that actually requires you to suck." <laughs> oh. Come on, that's funny. I didn't know how many like songs that I had heard before were by Bon Jovi. Like for some reason oh, they, they didn't they didn't brand correctly, so no one my age like we've heard well, their songs, but we didn't ever know that they were by Bon Jovi. Well, bon Jovi was sort of was popular a, 
in the 80s, so it was, and you were born in 1986. Right. No, but by the time I was old enough to, like, care about that kind of thing, they had dissolved. They dissolved in, like, the 90s or something. They're back together again. Well, but, I mean. Well, Richie Sambora is not with them anymore, right? But, well, maybe not dissolved, but stopped putting out number ones. Well, that's true. Yeah, that is that's like, very it's true. It's My Life yeah. was by them. Um, obviously, Living on a Prayer was by them. Wanted Dead well, or that, Alive. That music kind of just got pushed hair, aside for rap. Yeah, yeah sure did. That's kind of what happened. Yeah. Hair, hair metal, yeah, it died quick. Uh, <laughs> Darkness Dave, what the hell is wrong with your kids? <laughs> Not liking Bon Jovi? <laughs> Probably. There's a lot Something wrong Something like that. This. Oh, speaking of Darkness Dave, he's listening. So uh, I just saw an, an article was sent to me about uh, about Slender Man. A woman wrote no. an article about Slender Man. That's uh, it's pretty fascinating from what I understand. Her name is Kathleen Hale. Uh, three little girls, an internet boogeyman, and a stabbing in the woods on a Sunday afternoon inside the trials of Morgan Geyser and Anissa Wire. Those just kind of wrapped up, didn't they? Pretty much, anyway. According to court documents, the little girls have been planning the kill since Christmas time. The original idea was, how long ago was that? Was that just a, few a year? Years, right? Was it a few years or just a, a two years ago? Um, maybe I have no two. idea. I think it was 2014. Was, was it really four one? years ago? Well, th- three years ago in any case. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, it happened a lot earlier than I thought. Richie Sambora is playing with Queensryche, according to Joe from Louisville. So there you have it. I didn't think Richie was back with them. Uh, according to court documents, little girls have been planning the kill since Christmas time. The original idea was to do it at Morgan's birthday sleepover. Twelve-year-old Anissa, a boyish brunette with long arms and a layered page boy cut, had read online that it's easier to murder people when they're asleep. It was the perfect opportunity. All three of them would be sharing the same bedroom. Like most suburban middle schools around Wisconsin, Horning Middle School. I wonder if it's named after Paul Horning. I don't know. Probably. Wouldn't doubt it. Horning Middle School gave its uh, students iPads for educational purposes, and this is uh, and this is Internet History showcased your typical online fair, buddies eating raspberries, you know, things like that, as well as more unusual attractions. On her Google Plus page, she liked videos such as uh, one in which a cat slowly beats to death a live mouse, and reposted a tutorial on how to kill someone with the wrong end of a lollipop. You just jam it into their eyes and then their neck, all the soft spots. She also posted multiple psychopath tests. These are 12-year-old kids. Yeah, maybe your parents weren't so great. Yeah, maybe not. If you have a kid that young, you should be monitoring their Google Plus page or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You are correct, sir and ma'am. Yeah, you Screw privacy for kids that young. That's true. Because they don't need privacy. What they need is to not, uh, you know, become sociopaths. She also posted multiple psychopath tests, which she had taken, and according to her captions, failed, meaning she scored positive for psychopathy. In December of 2013, Anissa fatefully introduced Morgan to Creepy Pasta Wiki, Creepy Pasta Wiki, a fan fiction horror website where users can read and contribute to each other's ghost stories. One of the most popular crowdsourced monsters on Creepypasta was called Slender Man, a tall, looming, faceless figure in a black suit. I think, and one reason we keep paying attention to this story is I don't think people can believe this actually did happen. Well, I think there was something wrong with this kid before. I yeah, mean, definitely. Why would she be attracted to this kind of stuff? It's, you know, it's not typical for a 12-year-old to... Get into this stuff. Yeah, it's not like she was brainwashed by Slender Man or something. No. She was just a crazy ass kid who found a reason to kill someone. Very true. Morgan, who wore glasses, long blonde hair, and child size 10 to 12 clothing, had one other friend, Peyton, nicknamed Bella, 
to distinguish Bella. from another Peyton in their class. Morgan and Bella had been best friends since fourth grade, but Slenderman stories scared her best friend, so Morgan turned increasingly to Anissa. The two lived in the same apartment complex and grew close during bus rides to and from school. Together, they poured over Slenderman fan art, doctored videos of Slenderman sightings, and the thousands of amateur ghost stories on Creepypasta. Gradually, they pieced together that Slenderman resided only 300 miles away in a mansion located at the center of Wisconsin's Nicollet National Forest. Worse, he intended to kill them or their families if they didn't first sacrifice a human being in his name. How did they come up with that part? That's very common among yeah, people with paranoid yeah. schizophrenia. Well, if I don't do something, then some you know entity is going to kill me or my family. Yeah, well, guess. isn't that kind of a horror movie storyline? Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Yeah. Well, I mean, people have been doing that for ages, like the yeah. evil eye in uh, Mexico. No, people that's think true. that yeah, if you yeah. say something good about someone, then the evil eye is going to get them. This is just like a common uh, yeah, and thread. Yeah, twelve-year-olds, among... so they believe stuff. Yep, I do. Twelve-year-olds don't know the difference between fiction and reality a lot of the time. Given their options, the girls decided to kill someone, and although each would later blame the other for choosing their specific target, they decided it had to be someone Morgan loved. So Morgan invited Anissa and Bella to her slumber party and made a list in her science notebook that was later introduced as evidence in court. Supplies necessary: pepper spray, map of forest, camera. Spray bottle, cheesecake, cheesecake. Why cheesecake? What? Keep up their strength. Yeah, I guess it's tasty. I guess lure somebody. I, what the I hell? Cheesecake. her with a cheesecake. What a random thing. Like what? What are you talking about? Mother twelve. Uh, the will to live and weapons slash kitchen knife. Morgan's 12th birthday party kicked off at Skateland, where, according to interviews with Morgan's parents, Matt and Angie Geyser, featured in the 2016 HBO documentary Beware the Slender Man, the three friends laced up roller skates and rushed around holding hands like little girls. Angie told me that upon returning to the Geyser's condo, Morgan and Issa and Bella lounged in Morgan's loft bed playing on their iPads and eating cheese puffs that Angie would later find scattered in the sheets. Anissa and Morgan's plan was to murder Bella in her sleep, stash her under the covers, Stash her under the covers. No one will look there. Yeah, no one will ever find her there if we stash her. They're 12. (laughs) It doesn't seem like they were exceptional 12-year-olds either. Yeah, probably not. They They would stash her under the covers and run, but when Bella fell asleep on the floor, Morgan changed her mind, and she told Anissa and later told police she wanted to give her best friend one more morning. The next morning at breakfast, Angie, a pretty woman with clear skin and dimples in her cheeks, set out donuts and strawberries. After eating them, Morgan snuck into the kitchen and slipped a five-inch blade into her jacket. Okay, that can't be good. Angie says that uh, she and Morgan's father, Matt, had only let Morgan go to the park without them once or twice, but it was Morgan's birthday, so they gave permission. The sun was out, and anyone knows girls are safer in a group, usually before she left. Morgan told her, Mum, she loved her. This story was written in Los Angeles. Why does it say Mum? Yeah, it sounds... British. It's just very phony. Yeah. Uh, so told her mom she loved her, and then she and Anissa and Bella proceeded to the park's public restroom, a site prearranged by Anissa, who later explained to police that it had a drain for blood to go down. According to Anissa, the new plan was to stab Bella in the bathroom proper on the toilet, lock the door, and run away, reverting to the notion that it would be easier to kill Bella if Bella were unconscious. Anissa encouraged Bella to shut her eyes and go to sleep. When Bella didn't cooperate, Anissa smacked Bella's head against the bathroom wall, 
hoping to knock her out. Well, when that didn't work, Morgan and Anissa suggested to Bella that they go into the woods off Big Bear. Wait a second. Yeah, Bella should, should have uh, picked Gone up home. on that. Yeah, call your, call your head mom. Out. So she's head already, she already slammed your head into the wall, and now you're going to go off into the woods Just with her? Just kidding. Yeah, seriously. I, you know, you know what I'm saying. Uh, in any case, um, they they asked her to go off into the woods uh, with them, right? Yeah. So they go off the woods in Big Bend Road to play hide-and-seek. Bella didn't want to do this either, but Morgan assured her that uh, she could pick the next game. So Bella followed them into the trees. Yeah. According to court documents, three girls traipsed through the brambles and under the shade of overhanging boughs, Anissa petted Morgan, who sometimes liked to pretend she was a cat. Okay, well, uh, this is getting worse by the second. I like to pretend I'm a cat when I'm 12 years old. Okay. Uh, The two girls passed the knife back and forth. Morgan told Anissa she didn't want to do it. She wanted Anissa to do it. She said, you know where all the soft spots are. Anissa handed the knife back to Morgan, urging her to go ballistic, go crazy. Morgan hesitated. I'm not doing it until you tell me to, she said. So Anissa took a few steps back and said, now. Morgan tackled Bella, whispering in her best friend's ear, I'm so sorry. Yeah, that'll help. Then Bella would tell police from her hospital bed she started. Anissa watched as Morgan stabbed Bella 19 times in the legs and torso, missing a major artery by one millimeter. Morgan punctured Bella's lungs, pancreas, and heart. Bella shouted at Morgan, I trusted you, I hate you, after a while. She said, I can't see. Morgan dabbed Bella's wounds with a leaf. Well, that'll help. I fix you right up. instructed Bella, yeah, it'll fix you right up, don't worry about it. She wanted Bella to calm down and be quiet. I don't like screaming, Anissa said during her interrogation. It's the one thing I can't handle. So you think you're going to stab someone 19 times and they're not going to scream? Well, they probably just thought it was going to be like in the movies where you just stab somebody and they just die instantly. Honest to God, this is unbelievable. This story is... What an amazing story this is. It's terrible. So now what what is the state of all of these people, these young women? um, The two are, are like, in permanent psychiatric hold, basically. Okay, yeah, Yeah, I figured. 30 years, I think... 25 and 40 years between the two of them, but who knows if they'll ever get out. Yeah. So this happened three years ago, did you say? Four years ago. Two or three years ago. Darkness Day would know So if they're 12, they're 15 or 16 right now. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Uh, I, they were about yeah, 15, wonder, 16 years old, something like what that. They're like. Morgan began to pray, Slender, if you're listening, please help us. Cars whizzed by. The girls waited for a sign that things would be okay. But as Anissa later told police, no help from Slenderman arrived. No sign ever appeared. He didn't do anything, Anissa said. Nothing happened. Shock. Uh, the great well pumpkin, done. Charlie Brown. Yeah. Why don't we uh, keep you uh, in, in lockup uh, for... Yeah. Longer, yeah. Ever. Don't come out. I don't think they're going to be getting out you pretty much ever. Yeah, they're probably not going to get out, are they? No, when you're that crazy, no. As a child, uh, that's too. not curable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Several weeks ago, Judge Boren sentenced Anissa Wire as an accomplice in the attempted murder to 25 years in a psychiatric facility, the maximum possible in this type of case. Yeah. After three years, she can apply for supervised release. Morgan will have a sentencing hearing in February. Uh, matter of fact, February 1st, to officially determine the length of her commitment to Winnebago. They're thinking about 40 years, though. Uh, the state is asking for a maximum sentence of 40 years. Wait, I thought they said 25 was the maximum. Uh, and th- that particular... I, yeah, I don't know why... Uh, what, maybe well, was that ages. the 
was the twenty five years old the twenty five years one was she the stabber or the no that was Anissa oh that's why she, the one that was her whole idea yeah Morgan uh, will be sentenced uh, and she's the one who did all the stabbing because Anissa told her to do it the state is asking for a maximum of forty years a sentence that co-founder deputy director and chief counsel of the juvenile law center in Philadelphia Marsha Levick calls absurdly long and a ridiculous response. Uh, how long Morgan actually serves, like so many aspects of her case, is up to Judge Boren. That's a hell of a story right there. It sure is. Slenderman. Uh, Joe from Louisville says at least they won't be able to reproduce. Well, That's like, true. Well, you don't know. Well, yeah. I, I don't know. Right. I might get a boyfriend while they're on the inside. Yeah. I, I have a scary thing for that. after the break. Scary All right. We'll be right back with Alex scaring us at Tom Bernard's show. Tom Bernard here with CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael. Tom, it's always a pleasure to be with you. One thing we keep talking about is that North American Banking Company is a community bank. Why is that important? Well, two things. First, as a locally owned and operated bank, we move quickly for our customers when it matters most. You're not waiting for a loan decision to come out of state. We're making the decision right here at your home. Secondly, our customers appreciate the fact that we get to know them and understand their goals. For many of our customers, we're coaches, mentors, and sometimes sounding boards for their ideas. It's hard to get that from a big bank, but it's something we do just because it's Tuesday. Well, that sounds like a great way to do business. All of our employees are working to help meet your business needs. It's how we create loyalty. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company? A better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. my God, there's a, quite the story here. America is changing as the world changes, and uh, you can get from one place to another within a matter of hours now. People back in the day before air travel, uh, so about 100 years ago, something like that, uh, they didn't really cross continents much unless they took boats on long, long tours across the ocean. So things like this didn't happen, but they're happening now. Wildlife managers in Florida say they want to remove roaming monkeys from the state in light of a new study published yesterday that finds some of the animals are excreting a virus that can kill you. That's great news, don't you think? 
Uh, scientists studying a growing population of rhesus macaques in Silver Spring State Park say that rather than just carrying herpes B, which is common in the species, some of the monkeys have the virus in their saliva and other bodily fluids posing a potential risk of spreading the disease. Human cases of the virus have been rare, with about 50 documented worldwide. There have been no known transmissions of it to people with uh, from wild rhesus macaques in Florida, reports the AP. However, the researchers who published their findings in the CDC journal Emerging Infectious Diseases say the issue has not been thoroughly studied. The herpes vir- B virus, uh, 50 humans have known to have contracted it. 21 of them have died. Well, that's great news, isn't it? Horrible. Now we got the rhesus macaque monkeys uh, in the state of Florida, and uh, where are they, they? Where are they? It doesn't really say, but I imagine they got to be down in the yeah, in the Everglades. I'm sure they monkeys are. Monkeys are gross. Yeah, they sure never are. Never liked monkeys. I've never understood why people want a monkey as a pet. Monkey. I have no idea. They're just gross. They're not all that friendly either, are they? Um, some of them are. Monkeys are fine. They're Apes oppor- are not. They're opportunists. If you feed them and give That's them true. things, then oh, they, yeah. they'll well, like you. Yeah, they'll steal like food if they can. I mean, they're not like, you know, benevolent or anything, but no. monkeys, for the most part, are not going to attack you or anything, but no. apes will often attack. And there's, and, a, there's a bunch of different kinds of monkeys, too. I had never seen a monkey in the wild until I went to India. No, there's like hundreds of types of monkeys. And people there do not like monkeys. I'm not surprised. They don't care for the monkeys? No, because no. there's a certain kind that uh, easily adapts to living in urban environments. And yeah, it, they're like squirrels, but they can steal from yep, you. They and go into the house, they open up the fridge, they dump everything on the floor, they eat everything, and then off they go if you leave a window open. I'm surprised they don't just like slaughter them whenever they see them ladies and gentlemen too quick it's now time for alex's scary story yeah. it's not a scary story it's something involving a scary movie there's oh, a scary a, movie yeah it's a scary movie that comes out on my birthday Ooh, so we it? have to go that weekend winchester, winchester. What's Win- oh it's about the, it's the real story about the woman who built the house yeah and oh. helen mirren's oh, in it and we that. love her yeah i do like her She's i do want to see that movie she she built stairways to nowhere yeah, of a psychic telling her. Yeah, to do that. Inspired yeah, by true events, on an isolated stretch of land 50 miles outside of San Francisco sits the most haunted house in the world, built by Sarah Winchester, heiress to the Winchester fortune. It is a house that knows no end, constructed in an incessant 24-hour day, 7-day-a-week mania for decades. It stands 7 stories tall and contains hundreds of rooms. To the outsider, it looks like a monstrous monument to a disturbed woman's madness. But Sarah's not building it for herself or for her niece or for the brilliant Dr. Eric whom she summoned to the house. She's building a prison and asylum for hundreds of vengeful ghosts and the most terrifying among them a score to settle with the winchesters i think she sounds a little what's the word insane crazy yeah yeah yes. insane would be good Just i know but it sounds I, it's if you look at it's a real house it looks beautiful and there's like but there's stairways to nothing there's doors that end opened it it's like crazy this is all from the rifles this money yeah yeah. Yep. And apparently that's what the didn't isn't that what the uh psychic told her is that, that all the people that your family's rifles have killed uh, are going to come back and haunt you. So a guilt complex. Isn't that what it is, Alex? 
I think so. I'm not super well-versed in the whole thing. But it comes out on my birthday, so we have to go that weekend. <laughs> we will absolutely go. That's a go. strange story, isn't What's it? What's her name? I know. Is it Emily Winchester? Is I just that her said name? it. I can't remember. Sarah Winchester. Yeah, you just said it. Sarah, Sarah Winchester. There you go. There you go. It's huge. Yeah, the house is actually beautiful. It's a huge house, and it's a beautiful house, but they're... <laughs> it's rather odd. I don't know. Yeah, we we will absolutely go see that movie on your birthday. Her no, inheritance the birthday was the equivalent of five hundred million dollars. That's pretty, pretty good. good. Oh, plus bad. a fifty percent holding in the Winchester Company. Fifty percent. Oh nice. Yeah, wasn't probably worth another several hundred million. So she did pretty well. Oh my God! Look at this bedroom. Have you seen the bedrooms and all that stuff in there, Alex? No. I mean, I've seen some it's, pictures, but... Yeah, it's just, you know, that super opulent time. Very, yeah. yes. Yeah, People who had money could build something like Buckingham Palace for I would have just built a concrete tower as tall as I could have. Really? Because concrete's cheap. Oh, they they got a, they got the, uh, what do you call these stores again? The Shop. They got a, <laughs> yeah, like a shop in the Winchester Gift House. Store. Where you, Gift you could store. buy yeah. cups or bottles. You could buy T-shirts. I'm not surprised. You could buy all kinds of stuff there if you go to the Winchester House. Yeah, she I'd was told there. that the spirits of people who'd been killed by the Winchester rifle was et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, they were going to come back and haunt her. I wonder right. how much she paid, paid her psychic. Oh, Probably God. a lot. Yeah. yeah. Why, was it called La... Lanada Villa? What do you uh, that would be Yanada. Yanada, Yanada. Assuming Villa. they, assuming they um, pronounce it correctly. Yanada Villa. Yes. And what what does Yanada mean? Does anybody know what Yanada, or is that someone's name? I have no idea. Let's find out. Means. Oh my Maybe. God! You can buy little uh, little strawberry cakes, and you can buy pastries. Just you can because. buy pastries there, so that you can eat with all the people who want to kill you because the rifle killed them. Yeah. Is there? Are there any Westchesters left? Winchester. Winchesters. I mean, <laughs> they're not that popular anymore. No. no, I mean the family members. Oh, did she have children? Yanada means plain. Plain house. You mean or, like P L A I N? Uh, yes. Plain. It's hardly a plain house. Well, but I yeah. mean, it could also mean like the plains. Yeah, oh, that's, that's true. That's probably that's what true. it means. She has this, a. Although that would be Las Yanadas, so yeah, I don't know. She had a niece. Say, I don't think she ever had kids. She had many, many siblings. Yeah. Sarah, Mary, Antoinette, Leonard, Isabel, and Estelle. Okay. So she she did have a some... kid, though. She, she did she have a kid? She had a kid oh. named Annie Winchester, who was born in 1866. When was this house built? A long time ago. Sarah God. was born in 1840, so yeah. it's at least like a... 150 years old, I'd say. Yeah, probably. Now, do the statues out front of the women mean anything? Because every statue in front of the house is a woman. Does that mean anything? I don't know. Maybe her... We have to find out who the artist We was. should go Sisters. see the movie and figure it out. Maybe they'll tell. The movie, yeah, if they mean anything, weekend. I'm sure it'll, they'll say in the movie. Oh, I'm, we'll trying to to... Find a, uh, I'm trying to find a... I'm trying to find a... Oh, I just found a staircase to nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, there's a staircase. You go up the staircase and it goes nowhere. It just... It looks like a down staircase. Uh, oh, that's... From the shadows? Yeah, from, yeah, from where, where you're looking, you it's go down the staircase. It's hard to say. Yeah. It looks... It's weird, that's for sure. It is very, very weird. It's, either, it's not hard to tell if it's up or down. How much does this house cost her, Alex? Yeah, that's what I... I have no idea. I imagine a lot. Well, probably it wasn't oh much since God. it was so long ago, but today it would probably mean a lot of oh, money. Oh, well, for one, she designed the house herself, and she had no yeah. experience or training, so a lot of weirdness is just because she didn't know what she was doing. Yeah, that'll work. But then also, there was an earthquake that damaged the house, and I mean, like, she fixed 
you know, any like nails sticking out or whatever, but any other damage she didn't fix. So, like, if the floor collapsed at the top of a staircase, that staircase now just leads to a hole, and she didn't fix that. Oh, she didn't fix it? Yeah. No. That Well, I mean, it was 1906, and she died 16 years later, so she might have been, like, sick or something. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, you know, in 1906, she would have been 66 years old, and at that time, yeah. Could That's have been old. An old person. It's kind of weird, though. When you leave the property, there are apartment buildings right across the street. That's super There's weird. an office building. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, you'd be living right across the street from the Winchester house. That uh, That's kind of a... What town is it in? It's outside San Francisco. Outside somewhere. God, it is a beautiful house, though. That Now, how many brothers and sisters did you say she had? Uh, let's see. It sounded like there were seven, I think. Yeah, it sounded like there were seven. So so they they got like $3.5 billion? Cause did they each get $500 million? Well, The Winchester Company was, I mean, it was like the gun to own. And back then, was, you, yeah, everyone absolutely. had to have a gun. No, you're absolutely right about that. Everyone had to have a gun. Let's see here. I'm sure it has, like, how much it was worth at the time. Good Early God. history. Um, you can you can look at all Winchester rifles there on display. Ooh, they got the, like, the rifle man that, where you cock the rifle with the handle. Yeah, this is going to be... Oh, you can buy a cake, a cake replica of the house if you want. You could probably have that done. Uh, that must be pretty expensive. Why I would, would you want that? I have no idea. This 1880s bedroom furniture was made for Lyman T. Clark and his family, early San Jose pioneers. It is placed here on exhibit courtesy of Senator Clark L. Bradley, family of uh, San Jose. So what? What's the point of that? Well, they all just wanted just to get involved. Telling you everything about the house and their family, I guess. Uh, and do they? I, I, you know, I may have asked this already, but do they? Did they say how much this house costs to build? Andy's no. trying to figure it out. I Winchester isn't a company really anymore. Oh no, they're pretty much. Olin retained the Winchester ammunition business. U.S. repeating arms itself went bankrupt in 1989. After bankruptcy, it was acquired by a French holding company, then sold to Belgian arm makers Herstal Group. Really? Yep. Yeah, they like the company itself is long, long a thing of the past. They were basically like World War One was their last uh, big. Thing. Oh, it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this. I'm looking at this room where the walls were never finished, and there's all this furniture, little baby dolls. There are rifles and racks. There are handguns. Yeah. There's, there's a, a ton staircase. of musical instruments in the house. I know. Yeah, there are. There is a stair, like a, a railing for a staircase. Yeah, just in the middle of the floor. In the middle of the floor, it just goes nowhere. It's a, there's a banister that you should hold on going downstairs, but there are no stairs there. Weird. What an odd. Uh, that's yeah. About, it's too much money and too much crazy. That's yeah, what that is. That's a seems that's to be exactly a popular it combination. It really is. <laughs> it's like, you have a ton of money, you just go nuts. I don't know. Why. Become a lunatic. <laughs> there, yeah. There's a devil deer in the yard. This deer looks very angry. Oh my. Uh, there's a statue of a de- of a deer in the yard. It's of a stag. It looks really crabby. Stag. That's but, all I know. Uh, yeah. It says that this is the most haunted most haunted house in the world but i don't i don't know all right so we have plans now we're gonna go see that movie what's the name of the movie winchester oh, it's just called winchester that's <laughs> yes. it mm-hmm. uh so we're gonna go that uh your your birthday weekend alex's birthday of course as uh national you know, the, holiday the nfl yeah. understands it should be a national holiday because alex's birthday february 2nd kicks off the weekend of the big game Woo! 
yeah, we'll have to go Saturday to the movie, I guess. Skull. When do you go back to yeah, Florida? I, I don't know. We're gonna figure it out. I'm done. We're gonna be. I'm gonna be around forever. Don't worry about it. Okay. Well, because you, go, you no, can't fly it's home. It's all on hold. You can't fly home on Super Bowl Sunday. Why well, wouldn't no. be flying home? Anyway. No, that would be or flying. I mean, no flying back to Florida. Oh. Yeah, can you no even imagine anywhere going into Minneapolis on Super Bowl? <laughs> can you even imagine flying out of or into no. MSP? Yeah, within two weeks of oh, Super Bowl God. Sunday. That's yeah, terrible. it's not going to be. Mom's flying the be Friday before the Super on my birthday, which is going to be terrible. Sorry, Mom. Love you. I mean, she'll be fine. Why? Love you. Yeah, that's really nice. That's really, really nice, Alex. Yeah, love you. <laughs> I, I, apparently, there's going to be an. Of course, the great old Minnesota tradition, the far left is going to have all these protest marches on Super Bowl Sunday. For what? What are they protesting now? uh, Do they not know that everyone on Earth is sick of their crap? I got to believe. college students constantly protesting the same thing every day for the past, like, 80 years? Yeah, they're they're, they're racial disparity Uh, and powerful rich corporations. Yeah, because nothing says, you know... White people making a lot of money, like you know the NFL. No, no rich black people there. No, none at all. We'll be right back, Tom Bernard Show. Tom here for Saber Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Saber and Bryant are teaming up to offer zero percent financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Saber. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Saber Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin, is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is the equal opportunity employer. We are back on Tom Bernard Show. So we've covered a lot of ground. We've covered Slender Man. We've covered the nut job Winchester House. I look forward to it. So Helen Mirren's in it. Who else is in it, Alex? Um, nobody that I really know much about other than Helen Mirren. She's the lead. She's the Winchester. She's Sarah yep. Winchester. Jason Clark. I do look forward Sarah to Sarah Snook. Angus Sampson. You know, those guys. No, you're right. so, <laughs> so is it a British production? I don't I, Is it a British production? Or, um, I don't know if it is or not. Um, I do not know. Director Michael Spearing. Michael and Peter Spearing. I don't know. Spearig? That's, yeah, no so, that does sound pretty British, I, have no idea. I would guess. Yeah, we'll, go, we'll get that done. A Dallas woman appeared in court on Tuesday in connection with a December date gone horribly wrong. No, she wanted a date. Her name is Lindy Lou Lehman, LLL. Well, she's an attractive Hello, young lady. Hello, Lindy Lou. Exactly. That's not it. 
Um, we certainly disagree with Mr. Busby's rendition of the facts, the people, the attorney for Lindy Lou Lehman says. As for Lehman's rendition of the facts, I'll save that for the courtroom, Justin Keeter said, calling Lehman a great person. The 20-year-old Lehman is free on bail but barred from drinking, using drugs, or having contact with Anthony Busby, the Houston lawyer who got Rick Perry off the hook in this case. Uh, as for his rendition of the facts, Busby alleges Lehman got drunk on their first date, so he called for an Uber to collect her from his River Oaks mansion. Per KHOU, she allegedly hid in his mansion. Busby says he found her and called a second Uber, at which point she started swearing and destroyed two Andy Warhol paintings, among other art. If someone yeah. agrees to go to your house for a first date, then she's probably crazy well, that's to what begin with. So probably not a good plan. Um, in any case, according to police, Lehman tossed two sculptures and poured wine on three paintings, reports the AP. The Warhols are said to be worth a total of a million dollars. Not anymore. The Chronicle explains that because of the art's value and the damage to them, Said to be at least $300,000 in damage. She has been charged with first-degree felony criminal mischief, which has a maximum sentence of... 20 years? Life. What? She could get life life for doing what she did. Oh, come on. Murderers murderers get 20 years. They get like a minute and a half, and she gets 20 years. We're talking maximum sentence, which she's not going to get. They're going to, at the very most, they'll garnish her wages... But more than likely, they'll just say, don't you do that again, and let her off with nothing. That is so She looks great. a lot like uh, the woman on Big Bang Theory, sort of, right. like her sister. Oh, yeah. What's yeah, I can name? see that. Kelly Cuoco or whatever. Yeah, Kelly like Cuoco. Yeah, she's, well, she's a very pretty woman, but I don't know. She's apparently can't drink, do drugs. What's the other thing she couldn't do? No drinking, no drugs, and no art collecting? Or <laughs> what was that No about? slashing. Well, I think the other heart. thing was a restraining order. Oh, yeah. Just a restraining that, order. That was it. Nah, nobody all. pays attention Man, what to those Man, anyway. what was she on to act like that, or is that just a think, normal uh, Yeah, I think she's occurrence. on being crazy. On being Drinking and drugs. James Franco's high from his best actor win at the Golden Globes has likely worn off with a possible Oscar contender now facing a barrage of sexual misconduct claims. In the Los Angeles Times, five women, including two who previously spoken on uh, on Twitter, accused Franco of inappropriate conduct, part, uh, particularly involving nude scenes. Sarah Tither Kaplan, a former acting student of Franco, says he exploited students who agreed to appear nude on camera. In one case, removing clear plastic covers protecting their genitalia while simulating oral sex. Other students describe him promising students acting roles that turned out to be to involve nudity, becoming irate when no actresses volunteered to appear topless, and punishing those who balked. Actress Violet Paley also says Franco pressured her into performing oral sex before beginning a romantic relationship. The claims, which Franco's lawyer denies, follow those made on Twitter during Sunday's Golden Globes. Paley, for example, also accused Franco of inviting her 17-year-old friend to his hotel room in an apparent echo of a 2014 encounter. Ali Sheedy, whom Franco directed in a 2014 play, also targeted the actor in a series of since-deleted tweets. Uh, That makes total sense. You know what I mean? Uh, Please never ask me why I left the film TV business. James Franco just won, she said. Like Stephen Colbert a day before, Seth Meyers asked Franco about the allegations on Late Night Wednesday. The tweets I read 
were not accurate, and I have my own side of this story, but this is a conversation that needs to be had, Franco said, per The Hollywood Reporter. I believe in these people, that they have been underrepresented, getting their stories out enough, and I will hold back things uh, that I could say. I don't know what that means. He says they should have a they should have a voice, but I'm going to hold back things. I well, that's I how everyone's being. They're, that, they're like, we need to do something, but not me. That's someone lawyer else. Lawyer speak. Well, yeah, yeah, this this is what, yeah his lawyer told him to say that. Yeah, I believe you're probably right, but and he should actually just probably not talk at all. I don't really understand. James Franco is a, a very handsome guy. He's a very famous guy. He's got a ton of money. Why would he need to force himself on women at all? Well, it's kind of strange that they're talking about him doing things during scenes. So, you know, that would have been recorded, right? So show us the recordings. Not rehearsals aren't yeah. always recorded. Yeah, I don't think you really need to rehearse that. What, nude scenes? You don't have to rehearse nude scenes? I don't know. I just think that the world is just a crazy place. And yeah, it's not doing it. all that well. Not doing all that well right now. I now you I, got No, the, I don't even know what's going on half the time. The, the governor of Missouri now admits he had an affair, cheated on his wife. He denies that he blackmailed the woman he cheated with, though. Well, politicians so. have been cheating since time immemorial, so. That's true. That's not new at all. Missouri Governor Eric Greitens acknowledges he was unfaithful in his marriage, but denies the allegations that he blackmailed the woman he had an affair with to stay quiet. The Republican governor and his wife, Sheena. Uh, Sheena Easton. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sheena somebody. Released a joint statement Wednesday night after KMOV reported that Greitens had a sexual relationship with his former hairdresser in 2015. The station reported that the woman's ex-husband alleged, uh, alleged Greitens photographed her nude and threatened to publicize the images if she spoke about the affair. A few years ago, before Eric was elected governor, there was a time when he was unfaithful in our marriage. The Greitens statement said it was a deeply personal mistake. The woman allegedly involved did not comment on the record to KMOV, which uh, released its report late Wednesday after Greitens gave his State of the State speech. But her ex-husband, who divorced her in 2016, provided a recording of her detailing a sexual encounter with Greitens and saying Greitens told her the photos would be released if she exposed the affair. She did not know she was being recorded. Greitens' statement with his wife didn't address the affair specifically or the allegations, but in a separate statement, Greitens' attorney Jim Bennett said there was no blackmail, and that claim is false. Uh, St. Louis Public Radio notes that the news could damage Greitens' higher political aspirations, especially since uh, his 2016 campaign focused on character and family values. Yeah, this has been going on from for the yeah. last 200 years or 300 years or whatever. Yeah, the Kennedys, they never had any affairs. None of them. I mean, this has been going on forever and ever and ever. So she's not accusing him of sexual assault or anything. He just, uh, the story is that he cheated on his wife. Uh, so why don't we talk about every, you, you got Donald Trump. You got, uh, for sure, you got Bill Clinton for sure. You got Jen F. Kennedy for sure. Donald Trump did? Oh, God, yes. Well, he's been married like 85 times. That. Well, when you say for sure, do you mean you suspect or like for no, sure? No, no, I think he, one of his divorces was because he cheated on his wife, wasn't it? I don't know. Going back, ah, yeah, well, there is that. What are you going to do? You what are I mean? you going to do? I mean, what, <laughs> what are you, what are you going to do? It's just, uh... Oh, I'm supposed to check out a, a picture that Joe just emailed me, which I really can't do during the show, Joe, but I will do it uh, during the break. That I can do. I can, I can get that part taken care of. Oh, that missing student in California, they found his body. Oh, what happened? That's too bad. In a park? The search for missing University of Pennsylvania sophomore Blaze Bernstein came to a grim end when the 19-year-old body was found in a park near his parents' home. 
having apparently been exposed by this week's rainstorms, police in California say. The Orange County Sheriff's Department has not disclosed the cause of death or the condition of the body, but they say the case is now a homicide investigation. The Philadelphia Inquirer reports the park where a friend says he last saw Bernstein. The night of January 2nd is around a 10-minute walk from his parents' home in Lake Forest. Investigators are actively following multiple leads, but no suspect is in custody, the sheriff's office said. Police say they believe Bernstein, who was in California for winter break, was killed the night he disappeared. Our family is devastated, said Father Gideon Bernstein. Per the AP, thanking the community for supporting the search effort, a high school classmate told investigators that after they drove to Borrego Park on January 2nd, apparently to meet a third classmate, Bernstein walked into the park by himself and did not return, according to a search warrant affidavit seen by the OC register. When police spoke to the friend again on January 4th, he was visibly shaking. He told police that scratches and abrasions on his hands were from a fight club he was involved in and that he had dirt under his fingernails because he fell in the mud during a sparring session. The friend told police that he went to his girlfriend's home after leaving Bernstein in the park, though he said he couldn't remember her last name or her address. My girlfriend? The- uh, <laughs> he went to his girlfriend's house, but he can't remember her name or where uh, she lived. That's no rather idea. suspicious. Yeah, Never heard of her. This guy sounds... He sounds like he did it. It sounds pretty much like this kid, unfortunately, was was killed by his own friends. What if this turns out to be another Slender Man deal? That's all we need. The ongoing Slender... Although 19 would be a little old for that, wouldn't it? You would think so. Well, maybe not, though. I think so. Maybe not. Well, you would think so, yes. There's a lot of really immature 19-year-olds. That's true. That is very true. It is a weird deal. Have you seen the video of this woman who was doing a protest at uh, a Louisiana school board? And she was such a pain in the ass that the cops dragged her out. Have you seen this? No. No. It's pretty amazing. What was she upset about? Uh, Apparently somebody got a raise and she didn't. (laughs) A Louisiana school board meeting had on its agenda what appeared to be a fairly routine contract approval for the district superintendent. But the Monday evening meeting ended up in the arrest of Kaplan Middle School English teacher Deshia Hargrave. Is that how you would say that? Deshia, D-E-Y-S-H-I-A, Deshia Hargrave. After she juxtaposed Jerome Puyahu's new contract. Is this in like Haiti or something? No, it's in Louisiana. Oh, well, oh. basically same, Haiti. Yeah, same, basically no. Haiti. That's true. <laughs> it's kind of true. <laughs> it is kind of true. Uh, no, Pu... P-U-Y-A-U. How would you say? P-U-Y-A. Puyau. 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 Yeah, Jerome P. When you're going with Jerome Puyau, that's what we're going with. Yeah, that sounds French enough. Jerome Puyao's new contract, which includes a $30,000 raise with the topic of teacher salaries and raises, NBC reports in a video of the meeting, which was first posted on KATC, Hargrave uh, calls a raise, Puyao's first since he became superintendent in 2013, a slap in the face, noting that raises and pay should be discussed for teachers, cafeteria workers, and other support staff. She continues even after a board member tells her her point is not germane to the conversation at which point a city marshal hired to provide security comes over and asks her to leave. I hope somebody has this video. One spectator can be heard saying as the marshal tells Hargrave he'll remove her. He then picks up her purse and walks out, but a minute or so later there are loud words in the hall and Hargrave is seen on the floor yelling and being handcuffed. She was booked into city jail on charge of staying uh, after being forbidden. and re- Staying after being forbidden is a charge? Boy. That's a tough tough law. And resisting arrest and released on bond, board president Anthony Fontana tells KATC the whole thing was a setup and that the marshal performed his duty properly. 
One of the board members tells the AP that the women who've spoken up at previous meetings have been removed, but not men. A claim backed by the board's other female member, the AP notes the school board's offices were locked down Tuesday after death threats in response to the video of Hargrave's arrest. The teachers' union and ACLU are looking into the incident. I should point out, uh, by the way, and this is really not germane, as the other teacher said, but it's interesting. This is a white woman and a black cop, and he just uh, gets fed up with her because she's being such a pain in the ass that he finally has had enough. Now, you don't in the video that I've seen anyway, you don't see her like throw her to the ground or anything. She kind of just falls to the ground trying to resist her arrest. So it's not like he knocked her down or anything like that. So I don't know. I don't know what the death threats would be all about. Does that make any sense to you? People give death threats online all the time. I'm going like, to come and kill you. Just, they just do. Like, yeah. I was told to drop dead on Twitter the other yeah, day. Yeah, people are oh, insane. What, why? What did you do now? Oh, there was some sort of story about Madonna was building some school and. I don't know, in somewhere Africa. in Africa. It had to be in Africa, and absolutely. I said, you know, I said I, you know, could she move there, please? And somebody commented on my comment, could you drop dead, please? No, oh, <laughs> God, a big fan of Madonna's. you got to be so upset. Well. I don't know how you're going to take it. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Alex, yep. drive home safely. Yeah, All apparently right, it's really starting to snow like crazy, so... Oh, it wasn't here. supposed to snow at all, they said now, and now it is. Snowing. I guess it's snowing like mad right. since I got here. Well, the boys, uh, the boys who remain uh, working will be here, but the women will be leaving. So it's just how that'll go. Well, wish Bella we'll be a recovery. Yep, we do wish yes, Bella all the best, no question Jelly. about it. Jelly Bell. Mm-hmm. We'll be back, Tom Bernard Show. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? Well, the latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us, we talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful, no question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? And I just had no answer. for. <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. You know what amazes me the 
the most about that group, the Bee Gees? What's that? They thought singing in that tone and <laughs> that note would be a great idea, and it turned out they were right. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Very. That song is like a time machine, man. That mm-hmm. takes me back. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, there's no doubt about that. It was great in the movie Airplane. Well, God, Airplane. Fantastic. <laughs> it was also in Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. That's where it came from, yeah. Right. That's where it came from, yeah. Yeah, but it was used in the movie Airplane when they did the bar scene. I got to go back and see Airplane. I don't remember that. Yeah, when they, when they went to the bar and all of a sudden he got on the dance floor when the first time he met her. Oh, yeah. That's uh, okay. right. In the clothes. He all of a sudden he had the disco suit on and all that stuff. <laughs> He did indeed. What First, was that woman's name? Julie. Uh, what was her name? Julie, the actress's name was like uh, Julie or Julia. Haggerty. Haggerty. Julie yeah. Haggerty. Yeah. There you so go. I was just thinking of Travolta right. walking down the street as uh, the painter, whatever right. his name is, Tony Monero or whatever. Yep. yep Before you absolutely. watch Airplane, watch Zero Hour. What's that? It's a disaster film from 1957. Airplane is almost a shot for shot remake of it. Is it really? <laughs> yep. <laughs> what? But is Zero Hour a comedy? No. No. <laughs> it'd, it'd be a very bad title for a comedy. <laughs> mm, yeah, Zero Hour would not be good. You're absolutely right. So Pat Proft helped write that movie, didn't he, with, with the Zuckers? Yes. Uh, what, Airplane? Yeah, yeah I, I think believe so. so. Pat Proft from Min- uh, uh, Minnesota. Mm, it's so really? silly, Really? I thought though. for sure he was one of the writers. Uh, does that movie hold up now? No. If you watch it now, is it good? I have not seen it in so many years, I couldn't even tell you. It's not like, it feels old, but it's still good. All right. I'm okay with that. There's there's the scene where they go get the guy to help them land the plane. Right. And they run over the guy on the bike, and he jumps up and he goes, flips his finger and calls them an a-hole. I had a friend, we would call each other (laughs) and literally say that to each other, telling the other one, that that's what they were watching. That's how we knew what the other one was watching. You would just call Honest them. And, to God. You would call them and just go, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> Out, outgoing Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe said Thursday. Now, I, I'll tell you a personal story about Terry McAuliffe. He's the outgoing Virginia governor, and of course, he was really tied into the Clintons quite a bit. And. I don't even remember. I, I think it was when, when Al Franken was running against Norm Coleman for the U.S. Senate. I, I think it was all the way back then. But uh, Terry McAuliffe called into the show, and I've never met Terry McAuliffe in person, but he, ca- he calls into the show to talk about this, that, or the other thing, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm trying to get Republicans and Democrats to, to take part and, you know, whatever. Uh, it's really weird, Kostaki, you would not know this, but Democrats, because they're so far left in Minnesota— think that I'm, like, really conservative, which oh, I'm right. not at all. Right, right. I can see But they see do. That. They're, they're right. so far left, they think, oh, my God. So Terry McAuliffe calls in, and I said, ladies and gentlemen, our special guest, Terry McAuliffe, he goes, well, if it isn't the Rush Limbaugh of Minnesota. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Honestly. But that guy's always been a jerk, so I, I mentioned a few things to him about where he could put that. <laughs> and it didn't go all that great, but... Uh, Outgoing Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe said Thursday that he would punch President Trump if he ever tried to get in my space. During an interview Thursday on MSNBC's Hardball, host Chris Matthews asked the Virginia Virginia Democrat how he would react if Mr. Trump leaned over him during a debate, as he did with Democratic rival Hillary Clinton. 
Ms. Clinton later uh, stated that the uh, presidential campaign, that, well, the current president, but he was in, you know, campaigning for president at the time, uh, was trying to intimidate her mm. by leaning over her like that. Uh, which I suppose he he probably was, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> it appeared that's what, that's what he was trying to do. What would you do in a debate if he tried that, Mr. Matthews asked. If he came over and leaned over the back of you, what would you do? You'd have to pick him up off the floor, Mr. McAuliffe replied. <laughs> okay, the host said laughing. You mean you'd deck him? Listen, this guy got in my space, Mr. McAuliffe responded. You want to get in my space? I've always said, Chris, you punch me, I'm going to punch you back twice as hard, and it wouldn't be hard to do it. How big is Terry McAuliffe? Yeah, really. What a cool guy. <laughs> Isn't Donald Trump like 6'4", about 260? Yeah, a new, I mean, a new level a of, uh, of modern presidential debates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for right. real. No, we're going to well, beat each other up. We'll find <laughs> out uh, later this afternoon. He is doing his physical today. Well, that's right. He is. He is oh, doing yeah. his physical today. And I'm not saying that Donald Trump's a tough guy or anything, but he's a pretty big guy. How, how big is Terry McAuliffe? Let's see. Does it say anything? This guy thinks he can intimidate everybody. It's disgraceful. It's embarrassing, he added. But if you ever came over and leaned on me and got in my space, that would be the last time Donald Trump ever did that. I promise you that. That information (laughs) does not appear to exist. You can't find out how big Terry McAuliffe is? The governor of Virginia? I guess maybe I could find pictures of him with people. You sound like an Irish-American politician, Mr. Matthews said gleefully, adding that Mr. McAuliffe's comments would undoubtedly go viral. Uh, Mr. McAuliffe's term as governor ends on Saturday when he will be succeeded by Democratic Virginia Lieutenant Governor Ralph Northam. Based on this picture, he's about an inch shorter than Obama. Isn't Obama like six feet tall? I have no idea. Hmm. I, I, thought I, he I was have a, no idea how I big he I thought he was taller than six. I thought he was like six. Oh, you one. did? Down about Obama. I don't know. Maybe six one. So basically, Terry McAuliffe is about six feet tall. He's about three inches taller than Hillary. Oh, that's not good. So he's a tough guy, though. <laughs> now, we got to go to the comment section on a story like that, because a story like that, the comments are always fantastic. <laughs> Garrett Nixon says, hitting him with your purse doesn't count, Terry. Ah. <laughs> God. <laughs> okay. Got him. <laughs> Just like Bobby De Niro ranting about punching people, including Trump, Bobby, as his friends call him, all of five, eight of him, I don't think that he's even 5'8", to tell you the truth. He's an inch shorter than Obama, and Obama's listed height is 6'1". It is listed, so So. that means he's about 6 feet tall. Uh, Thinks he really is a mob guy. Terry and Bobby would go down hard and fast against someone who's not 71 years old like the Donald. Uh, And then Trixie Rosie Lee said, or Trixie Rose Lee said, he is a communist. Oh, then I can't say what else she says. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot repeat what else she says in her comment. Uh, God, I... Boy, people get really, really personal in comments now, don't they? <laughs> did she call him? I mean, they uh, really. Yes, they do. Did she call him an uh, s-hole governor? No, no, <laughs> no. She, no, she did not. She, uh, she refer, referred to his father's orientation, which I don't know what that means. Mm. No. Unless I maybe I just don't know. But is is Terry McAuliffe's father gay? I don't think any of us know anything about Terry McCullough. I guess not. I I, I don't know. I, it's a funny question know. to have to ask. Is your father <laughs> <Probably> gay? gay. <laughs> yeah. Yes, your father gay is kind of a... Yeah, you're right. That is an interesting yeah. question. Somewhere along the line, sure. not so gay. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe, I guess it, maybe, one, maybe lately. 
<laughs> I guess so. Oh, my God. These people are now, as you scroll down, of course, these people all start going after each other mm-hmm. instead of the subject of the story. Yes. Which I find very, uh, very entertaining. Ah, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, the Internet. <laughs> Uh, I forget. It's true. I forget sometimes because in social media, I'm shielded from uh, most of the nastiness because they're self-selected people who like me, right? If you're following mm-hmm. me on Twitter or me on Instagram or me on Facebook, you like me, right? So the comments are generally pretty good, and then there'll be a post of something from me on something else that's not me, and oh my goodness, people are brutal sometimes. <laughs> I forget. A friend oh, of mine. It's their. Ju- a friend of mine did Conan, and then of course they post the YouTube clip of you on Conan, and the comments on YouTube clips are, oh my god, it just hurts your feelings <laughs> really? so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, what's an example? <laughs> oh, just like, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, the stump in my backyard is funnier than this guy. Whatever. Just people are just oh, br- brutish and harsh about whatever. You know, they just have anonymity and they don't feel like there's a human at the other end of it. <laughs> You know what is kind of funny about these guys, though, this Terry McAuliffe and Bob De Niro and all these people, Bobby De Niro. I know you played tough guy gangsters, but you're a finger puppet. Calm down. (laughs) Relax. Well, it's true. Now, how tall are you, Kostaki? I'm six something, six and a quarter, six and a half, something like that. You're taller than that, aren't you? Plus Greek hair. No, my personality just fills the room. Oh, that's true. That's what it is. Your personality just fills. You know, now I understand completely. It's just you have that phenomenal personality just fills the room and makes you seem like you're 15 feet tall. The Greek charm, that's all it is. Is it the Greek charm? That's what we're talking about? See, when I first met you, we talked about the fact that I have a lot of Greek friends. Right. And I suppose in Minnesota that there aren't that many Greeks, so I probably know all of them. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) This is is the state that's maybe the least like Greece of of all the 50, right? I would have to believe that's probably true. (laughs) Now, do you spend any time in Greece? Yeah, I love Greece. We go about every other year, briefly. It's kind of a tr- oh, family do? tradition. Yeah, we go for about about two weeks every two years. Is kind of our default sort of plan. So we went last now, year. You said I love it. You said family. You talking about your family or your birth family? It's the whole gang. It's um, my mom, oh, my really? brother, his kids, my wife and kid, and you know sometimes some friends of my mom or you know cousins of ours, and then we meet all the Greeks and. We've got cousins and aunts and uncles there. It's great. I love it. It's uh, it's one of my favorite places. I I used to say I I wish it were closer, but of course if it were closer, we would have ruined it by now. <laughs> so you gotta, yeah, well there is a... you gotta you gotta earn the flight. But uh, it's just it's a perfect vacation land because the folks are gregarious and the food is great and it's sunny all the oh, time in the summer and I love hot and beach and you know staying up late and running around drinking and. Talking about so life. Having a life. Yeah, it's very Greek, yeah. you know. So having a life. Well, it is very, very Greek. But I, I, I always, I don't know, I always had a great time hanging out with my buddies. There's no doubt about oh, that. Oh, the Greeks. Uh, yeah, they're good, they're good folks. Yeah. And like I said earlier, when I was in England, I ran into that sort of negative vibe about Greeks for the first time. I've been lucky. For whatever reason, in America, people love Greeks. And as soon as you say your, your name, people, every, everyone has a, oh, I went to school with a Chris Mitsotakis. Or, you know, everyone has a 
gregarious Greek in their lives that they love somewhere. So I just had a lucky ethnicity in terms of my general day-to-day existence. <laughs> Except you're in London. Except, except when you're looking for a job, <laughs> a no-skill job in England in the, in the late 80s. <laughs> except that. Honest to God, I, I wonder where that came from because it doesn't make any sense to me. It's the same problem that we would have here with Mexicans or whatever. They, the Greeks were perceived to be, like, flooding the borders for low-skill oh. jobs. It's that kind of a vibe that they had at the time, you know. But why did they leave Greece for England? I, because just the, the economy tends to shoot up and down in, in Greece. That is true. Yeah, I mean, the, the so Greeks, it was an economic issue. Yeah, I think I think one of the one of the big Greek problems over the last hundred years or so is brain drain. You know, a lot of people who are motivated and yeah. interested in more than just running a, t- a, taver- a taverna are they go somewhere else to do that because the economy is cranking in other places and never really has in Greece. Greece is such a simple place, you know. So people like my dad left the what country, you- came came to find some better opportunities in America. So, so Yeah, so your dad moved to America at what age? My dad had, a gra- had an undergrad degree and got a Fulbright scholarship for graduate school and went to FSU in Tallahassee. And, uh, what happened to you? Yeah, right? I know. My dad got a PhD in a second language, and I don't, you know, I, I've been speaking English for 50 years. I don't know how to use the word whom. I got, I don't know, I'm clueless. Um, yeah, so my dad came for school, and at the time, he married my mom. They were planning to move back to Greece together. My mom sort of signed up for that well, they were. dramatic life change. and. My dad got a good job at uh, teaching in the University of Georgia system, and they just decided to stay. So, so is your mother Greek too? No, my mom's a Florida oh, girl, sort of roots in, like you know, daughters of the American Revolution back in New England kind of roots. So I'm exactly oh half God. and half. I'm, my dad was 100% Greek. My mom was 100% American, as much as that's a thing. <laughs> As much as that's a thing. So yeah. did her family think that she she mixed that she married outside her race? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? My dad. This is this tells you it's not that long ago. Oh, my yeah. dad had to swear that uh, he was white in order to get the marriage certificate. See, How about there that? you go. Yeah, Tallahassee, Florida, you. in the sixties. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great story. <laughs> we'll be back. Tom Bernard here, and here with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, I was reading on your website about a customer near where I grew up, North Minneapolis. They were specifically looking for a community bank. That's right, Tommy, Prestige Products. They had been with another community bank, but when their bank was acquired by a large regional bank, the owner felt like they were just seeing his business for the numbers on the page and not really understanding his long-term plans. So we met with a number of community banks in the area, including us. Luke at our branch in Shoreview met with the owner. They hit it off, and Prestige Products chose to work with us. Incidentally, their favorite part of working with Luke is that he gets excited about the same things that are important to them. Having a clear understanding of your long-term goals makes for a great relationship and our difference maker for your business. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me 
And it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Funny choice, man. <laughs> What's the name of this song? The, the Heart Attack Dance? <laughs> heart Attack Song? The Heart, the I think heart that, Attack Song, I think really? that's it, because it goes, the pacing goes up and up and up and up and up. It does. You're absolutely right. Now, you is know, there more than one Greek song? I think this is the only one there is. This is the only one? Is it? <laughs> what, I, what I found interesting about your, your comments about your, your father and your mother and she being 100% American, your father being Greek and all the rest of it, one of the things that I laugh about, because I grew up in a very mixed neighborhood, uh, a lot of Catholics, therefore Irish and Italian people, um, and then the next uh, neighborhood over was black, and the next neighborhood over from that was Jewish, so I grew up around a lot of different cultures. That's great. And what makes me laugh, what it, it was, it was a great way to grow up, it was a wonderful way to grow up, but what makes me laugh about this whole argument now is, all of a sudden... The United States is like the center of what it means to uh, immigration. The whole world. Um, for some reason, America thinks that we're the worst place on earth uh, to, to treat immigrants poorly. Uh, Japan, unless you're Japanese, you aren't getting in. <laughs> Swiss, Switzerland, unless you're Swiss, you're not getting in. I'm sorry, unless you can prove you got a lot of money. <laughs> right? And you just talked about that in the 1980s going to, to London as a Greek and being treated not the best. Right, right, right. So it's always been that way. The first time I went to Scotland, I was, I was much bigger then, and everybody wanted to wrestle me. They're like, oh, look at this big American guy. You want to wrestle? I'm like, what? <laughs> but they, they kind of looked down on you a bit. Uh, I, look, I love Scotland, Ireland. I've been to uh, England, Ireland, Scotland. I love them. I thought they were wonderful. But you're not treated the same. I'm sorry. You're just not. Yeah. I, but where do yeah? I was just going to say, like, like in my travels, I've I've often run into very brazen comments about different cultures in a way that, at least in the states, we're ashamed of saying those things. <laughs> Right. You know, well, no, you know, that's, that's my exact point. You know what I mean? At least you say them quietly here. <laughs> people... yeah, no one really – the only people who really think that the United States is, treats immigrants poorly is people who have either never gone anywhere or people who are – they're so young that they'll believe anything they hear. But it is – to me, I think the, the reason – the explanation for our trepidation about that and our sort of guilt about it is – that it is a country of immigrants, and so it feels like right. a bunch of kids are playing 
you know, football in the in the street, and then another kid comes up, and and all the kids go, "Game's locked." You know, it's like, hey, yeah, right? You just you're here playing a game. Why would you say no to the next kid who wants to come? It, there is there's at least an American ethic where we have guilt about that and trying to figure out how to balance the the flow mm-hmm. of immigration. So, it's a good debate. I mean, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to figure out where where to land, in my opinion, but. I think it's a see. That's what I think is wonderful about it is that America. I don't know. For some reason, we right now love to hate ourselves as Americans. We're Americans, and we like to. Oh my God, we're just we're flawed in some ways. Again, do some reading about the rest of the world, or or get out and travel, or do something, because America is by far not the worst country in the world. I'm sorry. <laughs> God, no, not even close. The right. treatment of people. We treat people actually very well here. Uh, yeah, go as, to India. See what they feel about their, you know, their poor people. China, India. Yeah. I mean, you, you go to those two places. I, uh, I tell you another thing. You go to Brazil, and you're not Brazilian. They have, they want nothing to do with you. <laughs> I mean, that's a fact. Yeah. Uh, and it still goes all over the world. I, I pointed out Japan already. Andy, you know more, a lot more about Japan than I do. But unless you're Japanese, you're not going to move into Japan. They just don't like anybody who stands out, even if they're Japanese. Right. Someone who's unusual in some way, they want to... Well, they have a saying that the, if a nail sticks up, you pound it down. Right. And <laughs> if you're not Japanese, then you're just naturally going to look out of place, and that's they don't like that. It's just very confusing to me why America now is looked upon. And now, in a way, Europe is looking at America like, oh, well, they're kind of uh, racist and anti-immigrant. Oh, yeah, because you were all engaging and welcoming everybody, and you frauds. <laughs> Again, I loved going to Europe. Yeah, Europe, the whitest time. place. Yeah, look at all those yeah. uh, black people in Europe. Tons of them. <laughs> I mean, the they're... Getting, uh, they're getting more, but there's for a long time it was like, you know, you uh, you go over to America. We'll we'll be kind. We'll be fine without you. Yeah, it was kind of like Honkyville for a long time. It was. It's very very true. But as you go around, people, I, I don't know. I just don't know how we got where we are in America right now, where we all hate one another. If you're left, you hate the right. If you're right, you hate the left. And the rest of us are trapped in the center of it and have to watch the news every day. I I, I really consider myself to be quite the centrist, uh, and. and to watch these people just hate one another amazes me. And then I realize, well, I shouldn't feel so bad for them hating one another because they both hate me because I'm right in the center. <laughs> they really don't like that. <laughs> you know, so I, where did this all come from? Well, no, it's, uh, it seems like the stakes are high. Maybe that's part of the answer. It seems like you're fighting over, you know, the very essence of what it is to be American and in the culture, and I think that's part of it. I, I've gotten a little jaded. I mean, I studied politics, and it was a real passion of mine. And, and lately, I don't. I mean, I just don't. I'm not as engaged as I once was. You know. Well, well, let me hear about that now. So you studied politics in college? Yeah, or and you, grad school. It was as a hobby kind. No, oh, in I, grad school. Yeah, my my graduate degree is in uh, American government. I was gonna. I studied election cycles and different things. I was going to teach uh, American government at the college level. That was my that was my career path at the time. Um, really? Yeah, I worked on uh, I worked on the Dukakis campaign way back in the day. You're welcome, America. I did too. <laughs> no, I did too. I did it. I did his, his commercials for him. 
Oh, really? So oh, I you was, didn't know that. Yeah, that was me. Yeah. I mean, Dukakis was like my dad's wet dream candidate, a professorial Greek American, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just found it fascinating. What made people vote and what made people laugh were my two like big passions at the time. I just found it so interesting, and I ended up writing my master's thesis about the influence of political satire on our feelings about government. Because those were my two loves at the time. I was fascinated by comedy and uh, and voting patterns, and uh, and so I hung in there and I got my degree and I saved my books and I went on the road and I still have my books in case this comedy thing doesn't pan out. <laughs> and, uh, no, absolutely. You've only been at it for a couple of years now, so you know. <laughs> so uh, my mom bitches at me because all those books are still at her house. <laughs> I, so I have a question for you. What what from what you learned? And what you see now, what, what was your opinion of politics by the time you got out of grad school? Well, I loved it. I mean, I to me, it was it was the it was the big game that you're playing over the things that matter in life, right? It has a gamesmanship mm-hmm, right. sort of aspect about it. There's a horse race kind of reporting, but you really oh, are yeah. fighting over whether or not you know you're allowed to pollute in this way, or that gays get these rights or not, or. You know, mm-hmm. so I had a real passion for it. I found it to be uh, to be a beautiful game, but you know, over time you get a little jaded, you get a little frustrated about the process, and I just and in the last couple of years, it seems to be the only thing anybody's talking about, and I'm bored. Oh of it. yeah, you know, oh, yeah. it's like in the old days I did a lot of political stuff in my act, and now I do exactly none because I think everyone else is doing it, and it's you know. I'd mm-hmm. rather be the nail that sticks up. Yeah, for me, I'd rather be the other thing. When it was contrarian, I, I enjoyed doing political jokes, but now it's like, yeah, um, I don't even say the word Trump in my hour of comedy anymore. So I just do. Did I, you, did... I'm more interested in talking about me. I mean, that's the real drive. You know, it's what's happening in my mm-hmm. head. And I had this conversation with my mm-hmm. wife, and my kids said this. And my act has gotten a lot more personal on purpose because it, it used to be more observational, and now it's more what's happening for me, you know. Those those yeah, stories I, I are stickier, you know. They they um, even when they're not killing, they're still interesting to listen to because they're true, you know. So I've tried to do that kind of comedy more. So I do think I'm hoping this is at least I'm hoping this that uh, first of all, Jude did stop barking. Rough, but rough. He's, he's all whipped up <laughs> and about. If, uh, uh, JB Jude's would wake studio, up. So. <laughs> so is JB asleep? Uh, he was. I was. JB, JB always <laughs> falls asleep. <laughs> No, you want to know with what, you and Philip. You you want to know what happened to me this time? <laughs> what? I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and could not go back to sleep. No, oh, that happened to me two nights ago. I hate that. Yeah. I hate that too. I just laid there, oh. laid there. I tried looking on my cell phone, tried turn mm-hmm. t- uh, turning on Netflix or something, and I just could not go back to sleep. Yeah, it does happen. It absolutely happens. Uh, well, you could have watched the David Letterman show on Netflix. That would have put you to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think? Did you ever appear on Letterman, Kostaki? I never did. And I, I used to play poker with the booker. I was like, what do I got to do, Eddie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's weird. So why didn't he book you on Letterman? Uh, we were in the conversation about it, and then Eddie got involved with that weird sort of semi-scandal and was no longer booking the show. Do you remember that? Oh, the, with the the woman that was gonna that was 
what, trying to sue? Yeah, there became like this weird sort of story arc that Eddie was sexist, which is ridiculous. I mean, some of his favorite comics were females. And, uh, you know, Eddie and I butted heads over some other stuff, but he's not a sexist. It just became like a story that CBS didn't want to deal with. So Mm -hmm. they. Oh, really? Yeah. So they let him continue to do the warm up, but he wasn't booking the comics anymore. Um, that's weird. Yeah, so I ended up not. I ended up not doing Letterman, but uh, but that's a good show. I, I always I always thought that was a good show, and they were good to comics sort of late in the process. They kind of went through a few phases of not really booking a lot of comics, right? And of course, you know the nature of the process is there's only like thirty stand-up spots a year, and about twenty of those are taken by. Jerry Seinfeld and Roseanne and like the giant names in the industry, right? So there were only a handful of spots per year that were kind of up for guys like me. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so it's just the nature of the process. There just weren't a lot of spots there. Um, but they booked well, a couple of my good buddies different. and helped their careers. And, you know, they'll always have that feather in their cap. It was, it was a good show. Like Keith Alberstadt, um, uh, Andy Hendrickson. Uh, Carmen Lynch, and a bunch of my buddies did that show. Lenny Marcus, a bunch of the New York dudes that I knew. Moody McCarthy, um, some really funny dudes. I like Carmen Lynch, by the way. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. <laughs> I I just wondered about that because the people that I that I know that were on that show said he what. No, no, no. I was just thinking back to last March. Molina? No, no, no. We had Carmen in last month or last March, and it was. Uh, St. Patty's right. Day. Yeah. And her dad is Irish. And I remember uh, she was talking about her dad being passive aggressive. And she got a little mad at me because I was like, there's such thing as a passive aggressive Mick. <laughs> oh, yeah. She didn't like that. Yeah. And then I didn't I help myself because no, she's she also uh, part Spanish. And I was like, man, when are those Catalonians going to get their crap together? And she's Catalonian. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I was like, oh. You were a favorite. Yeah. You should have just kept your mouth shut and yeah. picked yeah. her up by accident. <laughs> 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 yeah, pick her up by accident. Come up behind her and pick her up. That's a good. That's a very good point. Why didn't you just pick her up? I like that. Uh, but anyway, what I was saying was that uh, I, I knew some people that were on the Letterman show, and he's like, apparently really unfriendly when yeah, you're in commercial. That was always the buzz about just, Letterman. He's never, I, you know, who knows? These are all fifth-hand stories, but I heard a lot well, of them. Well, that's true. But, but yeah, the, the buzz about Letterman was that he was... You know, he's one of those tortured souls. He never, he doesn't run around like a happy, jolly guy. He does his no. work and keeps his head down and is worried about stuff. And, you know, I, for, in terms of taste, I always loved Letterman more than Leno. But Leno is definitely one of those smiley, gregarious, blue-collar dudes who seems to enjoy the whole process, you know. <laughs> so. Well, he says he's really happy that he's not on late-night television now. He said he just couldn't stand doing Trump after Trump after Trump after Trump thing like they do on all the late-night right. talk shows. Right, And um, some of the vapid celebrity guests, you know, he got tired of that kind of stuff. You know, I, Yeah. I would totally yeah. understand that. <laughs> on the other hand, yeah, I, I mean, he's... He's got the perfect life. He has a show about his crazy cars, mm-hmm. and then he goes, yep. get, jumps in the private jet, and go does a gig for $75,000 for a corporation, comes home. And now, know? do you believe he is still, to this day, not spent a dollar he made on The Tonight That's Show? That's what he claims. Man. 
That's what he claims. He's a workaholic. Well, he only made $35 million a year. I mean, all those years that he was doing that show, he would literally he would stay up late at night working on the monologue with the writers. He would go to bed, he'd come in late morning. You rehearse the show. You tape the show live at like 5 o'clock for an hour. And he would run out of the studio, get in a jet, go to Vegas, do a show, come back, meet with the writers. It was insane. It's like... How much do you hate your wife, Jay? <laughs> yeah. Get it? Oh God. Get it? Get a little bit of a normal slice of life in there somewhere. There is that. I'll tell you a story about uh, about what Jay Leno said to me one time right after this Tom Bernard show. Oh. Tom here for Saber Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Saber and Bryant are teaming up to offer zero percent financing for 36 months. When you buy a new Bryant furnace, this is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant. Whatever it takes. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin, is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab. Fab is an equal opportunity employer. Motion in the ocean. That guy got so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he just stood there and talked. That's all he ever did. Uh, that's a catchy not, song. Come on. A, what do you want in a it song? Is. No, it is great. No, good Georgia band? Good that's right. I was thinking. That's from, they're from Athens. Mm. Yep. The first time I ever saw them was on CBS, that Sunday morning show. Um, and they were on there. It's called Sunday morning, yeah. Yeah. That's why I said that yeah. Sunday morning show. When you said that guy was so lucky, I thought you were talking about Brock Osweiler, the Brock Lobster. <laughs> <laughs> the Brock, lo- he did the Brock sign a, Lobster. He did sign a big contract. He, yep. was, he was very lucky about that. Four years, $72 million. That's a pretty good contract. Oh, God. Oh, God. I, I'm giving up. Case yep. Keenum's so about talk- to get one of those, by oh, the way. Yeah. Oh, he is, yeah. He's earned it. Man, we'll see. We'll I bet see. you him and uh, Creeper, they're headed to the desert. I bet you they're going to be in the Cardinals uniforms next year. Who's going to be the Who's going to be the quarterback of this purple team next year? I, that is a good question. That they have the most interesting quandary I've ever seen. You got You got two. Well, you don't know what you have. That's the problem. If, no. <laughs> if that team in purple wins the Super Bowl, then um, it'll be Case Keenum. Really? Yes. It's just outcome? Oh, yeah. Whether whether it works. If yeah. it works, you bring him back and give him $100 million. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, you send him away and go back to these two guys with lots well, of promise and no, screwy it, knees. If it, <laughs> if it doesn't work, then you just go back. There's no way they bring him back Bradford. Cause, uh, He's the best no, one. No, he, you're right. He, he hates Bradford. <laughs> he, he does. He, always, he, he, the owner? No, the coach. Oh, okay. Zimmer. Absolutely hates Bradford. 
because of the injury problems? I didn't problems? know that. Because he's a yeah, copy because, pain in the ass? Because he's uh, he's tissue paper. <laughs> <laughs> he's had a bad run with the injuries, no right. question. But he looks so good in the first game. You're like, if we could just have that guy. <laughs> right? Yeah, but then that Monday night game in Chicago, we were like, what is he still doing in there? I know. <laughs> Somebody said it was like that, uh, what was that movie with the dead guy that they carried around everywhere? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Weekend at Bernie's. Weekend yeah. with Bernie's. It was oh. like Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> you, you, you know the name of that movie, but you couldn't help me out when we were off the air. <laughs> oh, my bad. <laughs> what, what, could, Tom, what's the name of the movies? There was three of them, and they, the guy... Godfather? No, the guy, was, <laughs> the guy was getting married, and all of a sudden he disappeared, and the other guys were trying oh, to... Oh, the hangover. Hang Thank you. Oh, the hangover. Okay. Well, I was trying to Man, I, tell him about Dr. Kent, the show Dr. Ken. He had uh, cocky... Uh, cocky. I'll, I'll answer to that. Cocky. <laughs> cocky Economopolis. <laughs> no question. You know, cocky... <laughs> I don't know if that's going to stick. Uh, yeah, probably not. You're not well, a very cocky I'm guy. I'm the opposite of that. <laughs> yes, you are. It's a shame there's no words that rhyme with timid that uh, go well, he my got name. A, yes. He got a new nickname out of the show. So. <laughs> well, I was trying to tell yeah, cocky. Yeah. cocky. 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 I was trying to tell him about the Dr. Ken show and how fast it mm-hmm. faded off the air. It did, yeah. Uh, it it hit the wall. <laughs> Yeah, he, I like him too. Ken Jong's a really good guy. Right. He played a doctor really on guy. TV. It was a comedy sitcom, mm-hmm. and it lasted like that. Yeah, what happens? Well, it was on for a couple of years. It lasted a couple of years. Did it? Didn't seem like. Yeah, it, it was on for a couple of years. Because it always. No, I know what you're saying. Because it just seems like it was being preempted by sharks. <laughs> well, that'll happen. You know, that'll happen. Oh, very quickly before we move on, the the Jay Leno thing. Oh yeah, about. I want to hear the story. Uh, it's a very quick story. It doesn't take long at all. But uh, I had brought up to him what you were saying, that that he would just do this, that, and the other thing, and he'd go hop on a private jet, and he'd fly to a corporate event and make $75,000, come back home, whatever. Uh, so I said, yeah, I, I heard those stories that, you know, whenever you get a little time off, you hop on your jet, and you head and he goes, I make all this money. He goes, well, all that story is true except for one part. I don't own the jet. So he always uses someone else's jet to go somewhere. Oh, wow. Even so in better. other words, he, yeah, these corporations send a jet to pick him up. He doesn't even have to pay for the jet. See, right. Now, Tom, I thought you were going to tell the story about when you and Catherine went to go see him. Oh, God, that was quite the story. <laughs> it was at the com- comedy store uh, in Los Angeles, and Catherine was, uh, oh, let's see. She at the time must have been 22. Oh, wow. Something like that. Because I was uh, I was thirty, she was I was thirty or thirty one. She was twenty two or twenty three. Cradle rock. And we're in the audience. <laughs> yeah, cradle. Well, yeah. Like I let my daughter d- d- date a guy who was twenty nine years old and she was twenty one. Never happened. <laughs> Never happened. I'm a total hypocrite when it comes to that. But anyway, we're sitting in the audience, and there's a there's a comedian on stage. And he's a black comedian, and he's just beating the hell out of white women, how horrible white women are, and he hates white women, and he hated dating white women, and blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden, Catherine, who's had a couple of cocktails, mm-hmm. oh. and she's only 21 years old, 22 years old, she hollers out, shut the F up, <laughs> right in the middle of the act, right? This is at the comedy store in, in Los Angeles. So 
All of a sudden, I look up, and I got four bouncers surrounding me. I'm like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. And so everything settles down. They said, you can stay or whatever, and don't worry about it, but just don't cause any more problems. So, again, this is about 1981. I'm yeah. thinking it was 81. Maybe 80. No, no, you know what? It was 82 because it was the week that, uh, that uh, Thriller came out. So what was that, like October October 1982? That's weird how you keep chronology straight in your head with Michael That's Jackson it, albums. You know, the, <laughs> yes, Michael Jackson album. You know, I was there when Bad came out. And, but anyway, uh, so we're in the audience. So it's, it's, you know, long, long time ago. The next comedian out on stage is Jay Leno. And he comes walking on stage. He goes, before I get started, I just want to talk to the uh, nice young lady. Where are you from? Catherine goes, Minnesota. And he goes, oh, a frozen bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Nice. Did she yell something at that point? (laughs) No, she laughed because he didn't, you know, you know, Leno has that great delivery where you know he's not serious. Right, right, right. So, you know, he he can call you a bitch and you don't get offended by it. Right, right. No. Well, it's God, a good thing that, that same weekend, by the way. It's a good thing that nickname didn't that? stick. That's a tough nickname to go through life with. <laughs> no, I, I, I actually still do call her that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure uh, you say that because she's not here. Yeah. yeah she, she's not in the room, so, you know, that's that's the yeah. big difference there. <laughs> but that also, I believe it was that weekend. It might have been, I don't know, it might have been a, 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 at a different time. But um, I'm back at the comedy store. And this guy walks out wearing a trench coat and a beret and starts screaming yeah. at the audience. I'm like, oh, my God, what is this? It was Sam Kinison. Sam Kinison. I'll never forget that. He's the first comic like, I ever saw God. live. When I was 17, really? I, went, I went to see him on Valentine's Day with my girlfriend at the time. <laughs> we double dated oh. with a couple of friends. Uh, it was four days after Liberace died. And he's acting out being, you know, sodomized on a piano. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different era. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was a different era. It was wasn't a different it? era. That guy was a. Oh God. That guy was a force to be reckoned with. Man, he was good at he what he was. did. Yeah. Well, all those people down there at that time. Uh, God, who was all down there? It was. It was amazing. Yeah, that was the very beginning of the boom. 81, 82, 83 was when uh, every city in America got a comedy club, including the Atlanta Punchline opened right in that window and was open the whole way through. That's cool. What do you think caused that? What caused that in 81, the the huge – I mean, because there were comedians on the Ed Sullivan show and all the rest of it, but you're right, all of a sudden in 81, 82 – all of a sudden, there's this explosion of comedy. Why do you think that is? I looked at this a little bit. It's a, I think it's a perfect storm. of Some of it is sociology. So the baby boomers were had money. It was mm-hmm. the Reagan era, mm-hmm. and they didn't have kids yet, yeah. and they were going out. They, they needed a thing to do. And so part of it is just a demographic story of having money and being partying and doing coke and drinking yep. and being out and running around. I was just going right, to say right. coke had something to do and with it. And they mm. also, it became a trendy thing. So it was, it was the demographic bubble of the boomers being in the perfect spot plus the trend of it being a hot thing. You know, you put up a sign that said stand-up comedy and the place was packed. Well, you also yeah. I think you also had your explosion of superstar 
comics. There were some big stars, right? Right. Eddie Murphy was the one for me at that age. You know, that was the era that I started paying attention to comedy. Steve Martin, you had Eddie, you had Right. Robin Williams, you had all this run. Richard Pryor and George Carlin and (laughs) Robert Klein was kind of the new era comic that was doing observational stuff and yeah, I, I I miss those days. I got in just as the boom ended. <laughs> my timing. Oh, well, good timing. <laughs> no, th- seriously, well, this is not I exaggeration. Think... My first year of stand-up comedy as a serious <laughs> thing, there were six full-time clubs in the Atlanta area. And it, and it was also the first year the Braves had been good in like 20 years. And at the end of that year, there were two clubs left. And that trend was happening all over America as I was like, I think I want to do this for a living. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, cocky. It's all I t- think uh, <laughs> um, a big, another part of it, which we're going to see uh, in not too long, was the death of the hippie movement and everyone constantly trying to, like, you know, peace and love and mm-hmm. don't make anyone ever feel bad, don't offend anyone, that kind of thing. It's like, you know, they, they encouraged soft-spokenness and uh, skirting issues, that kind of thing. Yeah, Comedy was the exact opposite of that. And I think that by 1980 was pretty much like the hippie movement was over by then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yep. And people were so sick of it that they went with the opposite. And that's why now we're seeing that again. Is uh, That era was the era of saying, speaking your mind. And now we're in the era of the opposite. And then in probably another 10 years or so, we're going to see another uh, comedy boom of ultra like um, raunchy comics that are saying things that Right now, we would all consider uh, unthinkable. Bobby Slayton's going to have another little peek. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, poor Bobby. Uh, there's a reason that comics, the, all of those comics in the 80s, the ones that got big, were all very young, and that's because young people like young people. Yeah, that's true. Sure. That so is I true. mean, like, think of how many, how many of those comics, like those huge stars that you're talking about in 1981, were older than, like, what, 30? Not a whole lot. No. Mm, no, they were not. So no, you, that's absolutely true. So you're saying there's going to be another Andrew Dice Clay in 10 years from now? <laughs> I, well, the, I would say the current, um, <laughs> like, the uh, equivalent of, you know, like, in 10 years, the their equivalent of, you know, Robin Williams and John Belushi and such are uh, about 10 years old right now. Hmm. That's interesting. Mm. So, hey, yeah, if you're listening right. and you become a... A famous Robin Williams esque character, then uh, I uh, give me your money. I'm loving my, <laughs> my I'm loving my Andy theories this week. That's awesome. Uh, well, he got I, in. I thought of uh, Kennison this week actually because he said something on that first album that I heard when I was 17 that I still sometimes think about, and it's a way better model than uh, Louis C.K.'s model. <laughs> he said, "Yeah, he, I don't know if I could say this on the air." He said. Uh, I'll, I'll substitute some words. He said, make a girl climax before she even sees your penis. <laughs> right? Twice. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's I an mean, interesting even approach. as a kid who had never had sex, I thought, that's a, much, that's a, that's a good mm-hmm. model. That's good yeah. branding. You want him to come back for more. That's a pretty good way to go about it. As opposed to the Louis model. <laughs> <laughs> Whipping it out yeah. while they still have their coats on. <laughs> I still, I still to this day, I don't understand what he was thinking. I don't. I, but apparently, it's uh, inconceivable. I have, uh, <laughs> I have serious radio, and uh, mm-hmm. 
and I listen to the, the comedy channels on there, and he comes on. Mm-hmm. Boy, there's some, he's got some issues. <laughs> <laughs> he says oh, some yeah. of the most messed up things. Yeah, he does. Good. And it's like, how do people? I mean, you know, there's <laughs> there's a gross out comedy. And then there's, like, how do people hear these things and not think this guy needs to get a psychiatrist quick? Yeah, because he, he was talking about his daughters, and then it, <laughs> yeah, then it yep. went into I'm, masturbation and all this. It's like, dude, yeah, you, were talking, yeah. you were talking about your daughter. <laughs> yeah, he, he talked about, like, his baby daughter's vagina, and it's oh, like, what is God, wrong with uh, What's wrong with you, man? Never cared for him. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Kostaki, I didn't. I never liked him. He was, a, he was an arrogant little prick. I, I for him. one, don't like that topic. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, I, when I met him, he was an arrogant little jerk, and I'll never forget it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, not an arrogant jerk, but kind of cocky Economopolis. Sorry. Kostaki, I'm sorry. Tonight... Tonight, tomorrow night, 8 and 10.30. Kostaki's always really, really nice having you in studio. Appreciate your time. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tom. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Tom Bernard Show. (laughs) 